ready for the interview And if you get a cue live on a laptop Watch what I'm gonna do Welcome to the show Let them know we got a point of view Hey, yo, let's have a combo Say what you feel, be real That's the motto Real talk, pronto Dr. D, PhD, hit the intro Hold up, wait Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals all right, Lori, we are here on U.S. Hours. We're done with England time. <laughs> We're back. Hello, hello. All right, so you were in England for, how long were you there for? For two and a half weeks. So I was in oh. England, Hungary, and Wales. So I just got oh. back on Sunday night slash Monday morning. It was a late night. Yeah, I bet it was. It's an, definitely an adjustment going back all the time zones, things of that nature, you know. Totally. It's a good way to bake yourself an early bird, though, if you're not naturally one. <laughs> I would think so. I think so. Oh, I had a great conversation with you last time. It was off air. We were just chatting and getting to know each other and just been so personable. And uh, I really appreciated that time. No, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. So I'm grateful to be here. Yeah, for sure. Well, tell, you know, it's interesting. I think you're into a few things. I mean, fitness is one of them, but you're also on the tech side of things. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's an interesting kind of two-part series here with that. Yeah, totally. So I started out leading large teams for an aviation uh, for an aviation company, and I found you know my team members who were underperforming tended to. Uh, be having some sort of health issue, wellness issue, or not handling the circumstances in their life very well. So that's what triggered me to move back into fitness. So I became a full-time fitness trainer, traveled to India, studied yoga, studied meditation, all of the things, because I was super curious as to why people's people were finding it difficult to find happiness at work and mm. with their habits. But I did shift back to the tech industry as well. And that's also a personal choice. I love working remotely. So it's a fusion of helping people in the tech in industry feel happy within their jobs. Um, and also it works for my lifestyle as well. I love working remotely because it means I could work from England. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm influencing people at work, leading a team of um, tech support experts and customer success managers, while also running a holistic fitness platform. But I just see it as helping make people happy either way. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to jump back into uh, going to India and studying yoga. What was that experience in, like? And, and was it different than you thought it was going to be? Totally. So to directly answer your question, was it different than you thought it would be? Yes. So I was expecting to go to India and have enlightenment and to for my life just to flow and for me to learn all the things and Laurie is just going to feel amazing and on top of the world. But India cracked me open, if I'm being honest. Mm. So I feel like it felt like at the time regressing because all oh. of these things came up to be healed as you know, you were doing yoga for six to eight hours of every single day. And you are also learning anatomy. Like yoga teacher training is actually quite intense. I had studied biomedical science, which helped me with all of the anatomy side of things. I'd also been a gymnast coach, which helped me with like the teaching instruction and cueing side of things. But in terms of doing that much yoga, I can't explain what it was, but there were certain things that came up to be healed. And it was actually quite challenging for me um, emotionally and spiritually. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Like what was the, 
we're going to just get into this. What was it? What was the challenging emotional part and spiritual part that maybe you didn't forecast that you were when you were going to do it? Yeah, totally. So I think one thing that in my mind I thought was going to be really harmonious is that I was going to make all these deep connections with people that were on the same trajectory as me. I didn't make any friends in India. It was a very (laughs) solitude journey. Okay. See, Um, no one's thinking about it. They're thinking it's eat, pray, love. You're going to be there. It's going to be all this. You're going to meet somebody, you know? Totally. Yeah. And it was a very, and and I'm a big into like the universe, um, the universe, everything happens for a reason. So obviously this was meant to happen, but it was a very solitary journey for me and I'm an extrovert. So it was really challenging for me because it, it taught me that, you know, I need to learn to be comfortable with myself and in my own company. And it also taught me how wild my mind is. And I think Mm. most people's minds are really crazy, but when you're in a new country by yourself, not making that many friends studying and, and committing to your practice, all of your thoughts are really in the forefront. And it taught me that I was super future orientated Mm. and that nothing was ever enough. No matter what stage I was at, this wasn't enough. I was looking for the next thing. And I think a lot of mental health issues are us reflecting too much on the past or forecasting too much from of the future and not being in the here and now. And it's really easy to say that, but to practice and live that daily is a lot more difficult. And that's something that really slapped me in the face in India. I'm like, wow, I do not like being with myself and Mm. I do not like being in the current moment. And my mind is going crazy. That's gotta be a lot. I feel like that. I mean, it's just speculation on my part. I feel like that's a large part of the issues that we're facing. So we just don't want the silence. We don't want to face, you know, the mask behind that's there. We want to put on this front and let's live there. That's kind of our own metaverse we're creating, you know? I totally agree with you. And and it's really difficult to diagnose. And, and you're true in saying that you're speculating because a lot of holistic fitness, which is what I teach people is, you know, I think it's, I think it's easier to teach people to eat well and move move more often. And it's true because the results are pretty tangible and it's easier to be able to put into an environment where we can test. Whereas the mental stuff, the holistic stuff, there are so many different variables. We've all been raised differently. We've all have been exposed to different traumas. So the way that your healing will manifest isn't as linear. So it seems like speculation, but ultimately it's about providing a toolkit of different things that people can try to figure out what's going to help heal them. What do you think it is about the the kind of the tangible versus intangible nature of things? It's like even even the health and fitness aspect of it, the physical... And like the nutritional side is still a huge struggle for people, even though it's more tangible. What maybe distill down that a little bit more. To be honest, I think that we need to cover ourselves in the fitness industry. And as far as research goes, it needs to be tangible to ensure that we're not telling people to do stuff that could cause us to be liable. And I'm really honest as a fitness trainer, um, you know, I can t- talk to you about cortisol and what I know, but this is from personal experience and reading stuff. I'm not an endocrinologist. I can teach you some basics when it comes to nutrition. However, I'm not a nutritionist. So this is general information. Um, 
you know, a lot of what we have to provide people from a liability standpoint is a toolkit based on personal experiences and general stuff that we've seen. So personally, the reason why I think that it's not linear, we need to try out a whole bunch of different things and figure out what works for us specifically is, you know, a legal, a legal thing more than anything yeah. else. I don't know to understand why more people don't do what you just did, which is like, oh, I'm not an endocrinologist. I don't know this these things completely or here's the legalities it feels like we're in a time where people kind of go yeah anyways here's what i do this this is great <laughs> i have a thing it's so strange to me totally but saying to somebody hey here's a 30-day program is easier to sell and yes. it would be difficult. I'm on TikTok and I've, mastered, I've man, managed to gain a few followers on TikTok. And I talk about the whole cortisol thing and the melatonin and cortisol imbalance and all of that. But how do I put in all of those disclaimers in a 30 second video? Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's it's you do trust people to use their discernment as well. But it's it's providing general information to help people. But I do wish that um, we were moving into a space where people took empowerment and took messages and empowerment and they decided to carve their own path and that's what yeah. I'm trying to help people with is hey here's all the different things you can try start with one try it for four to eight weeks if that doesn't work for you move on to something else yeah all right I'm curious about this here so maybe you've heard of this I, I feel like I'm just going to try to get a lot of information from different people their thoughts about it so I was recently on a uh I had a, a dietitian come on, registered dietitian, and uh, she's very, um, and we're very open about this. Her whole thing is she's very into like health at every size. When you hear that term, what do you think? I think that it means, well, no matter what size you are, eat well, move well, breathe well. That's what it means to me, but it means health looks so different to everyone. I do think that we should be moving away from body size being an indicator of health mm -hmm. and more towards embedding sustainable habits. Yeah. Sustainable habits mean different things to different people on their journey. So if, you know, you were doing a fitness plan for somebody who was, extremely underweight, it would look very different to somebody who's extremely overweight. Something yeah. that I do not like around um, fitness culture is shaming people who tend to be on the larger side right? because there are a lot of people on the smaller side and bodybuilders who have body dysmorphia. And just right. because you don't see it doesn't mean that they don't have specific issues as well. So health at every size means to me just moving the best we can, eating the best we can and breathing the best we can. By breathe, I mean the mindset and yeah. things that make you breathe easier, the stress management side of things. I feel like I got to get a lot of information on this. I feel like from people, because like, I, I agree with the majority of what you said. I think that we need to stop being so body size oriented or that a trainer has to look a certain way to be an effective professional. I don't think that's necessary. That's the case. My pushback is I'm, I'm curious, what is health? What is the criteria for health? Because that seems to be very all over the place, very personal. But is there health at every size when someone's like 700 pounds and they have to be pulled out of their house by breaking the wall down? Or is there health at every size when someone is incredibly um, anorexic or bulimic? Like, where's the health there? 
at that size. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I like the direction we're going, but I think there also are some realities to like, let's say if somebody is that large, you could be honest and say, there's not a lot of health happening here and your organs are going to start fail versus just saying, well, you're, you could be healthy at this size too. I think that's sometimes part of this. I want to be positive, but there's also realities of life too, that I think sometimes we just sugarcoat with people because we don't want to tell them the truth about what's happening. Mm, I think you raise a great point there. And I think to summarize health at every size to me is an action. It's not a reality or this sort of stagnant statement. Yeah. Um, I don't, I believe that you can be within a healthy body weight range, but you're not embodying health at every size because you continue to feed yourself with yes. nutrition that's not ideal. So health at every size is an action. You can be 700 pounds and taking actions towards health. And yes, you may be in a situation that isn't metabolically ideal. Yeah. However, you're taking actions to improve that. I also, there are people at that size who Ooh. aren't taking actions to improve that. Right. Um, right. So that's, that's the way I kind of feel about it. And I 100% agree with you as well. Um, you know, a body positivity is extremely important and you will not lose weight or gain weight unless you love yourself. Well, maybe you will, but you're just going to have further issues down the line. Yeah. Um, so mental, physical, spiritual health is extremely important at any size, but whether you're taking action on it is a totally different thing. Most definitely. I think, but see, the way you explain that is the nuance that I think we miss in our business is someone puts on their profile, I support health at every size. That's a wild interpretation uh, for, you know, versus then it's important, I think, for the professional to actually explain the nuance versus just saying we just have too in fitness is so blanket statement all the time. It's weird. That's where it gets so toxic. And of all these diet culture and all these things It's like I always just push people and what we're doing, like, well, let's let's operationally look at this, like, because someone like me, who's had a lot of education and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what are we talking about here? <laughs> like, like totally. there we have to define this in a way that actually makes a lot of sense. And it's not just like, yay, everybody's healthy and everything, you know, like that's an oversimplification of it. You yeah. Know? Definitely. And there is this culture moving out there where, you know, as a trainer, you're almost deemed to be an unkind person. If you mm -hmm. say, Hey, 600 pounds, 700 pounds is unhealthy. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's the reality, you know, scientifically, yeah. that's the reality. There is such a thing as obesity. However, that doesn't mean that you're not taking steps towards your right. health. Right. And do I believe that some of the charts we have, especially regarding BMI, oh. are oversimplified? Of course they are. Terrible. However, there is a balance of oversimplification, but then also getting real with yourself and saying, hey, you know what? I've taken it too far. I do have a habit of overeating. It's because of X trauma. I'm working on this trauma in conjunction with eating better um, and just yeah. looking at things a little bit more holistically. Most definitely. I think the action part is what, is really important is like you could be at a certain state that is, uh, you know, medically not great, but if you're putting into action things that are moving you in the right direction, we're in a, we're in a much better uh, aspect there. I just feel like we don't say that. 
we just say these big blanket things about stuff, you know, totally, like, you know, Hey, we're functional training. Okay. What does that mean? Like, what is that? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's what we do in our business. It's what a lot of people do. We don't give nuance. We just give statements and we don't exactly. give context to things ever, you know? Yeah. And context is what helps people grow. And I'm guilty of it too. Like the other day I was talking about this functional mushroom powder that has adaptogens yeah. and someone's like, what on earth does that mean? Like, <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I need to calm down. And, and I think it's, I see it in the tech world too. And it's um, when I get a new team member, I let them know my pet peeves. And one of my pet peeves is acronyms that don't make sense, you know, <laughs> acronyms that just don't make sense. No matter what industry you're in, you kind of get used to it. And you, yeah. you say these words that mean nothing to other people. So I yes. think as fitness trainers, we need to kind of dial it back. And it's like functional training, you know, and people are like, oh, is that just like training with kettlebells? You know, yeah. so it is important for us to define that define these things so who we're talking to and comes from empathy really is is understanding where people are at and explaining things where things need to be explained and then maybe if you're having a conversation with somebody who you know knows what that means you're kind yeah. enough to not break it down in that situation it's kind of like if you have you ever had a conversation with someone and they start talking about someone like in depth that you have no clue who this person is and they're like well joe was like this and joe you're like who's joe <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some background here. Like, I don't, I, you're talking to me like I know this person and we have a, this synergy about it. You know, it's like, I think that's what's happening. And I'm curious about the tech industry because I don't know hardly anything about that. What's, what's the environment right now in the larger, larger T tech industry that you're seeing? Yeah. So the tech industry is kind of split right now from what I see. Half of them are experiencing a lot of layoffs and are mm. feeling really hit by the recession. But then also there was the great resignation and, yeah. you know, we were needing a lot of people. So depending on what industry you're in, um, it's completely different. But I have had like altering experiences, uh, different experiences in the tech industry as a whole. So some are very much what you hear and are um, very go, 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 no work-life balance. But I would say on the on a wider note, people do encourage you to take your vacation and people do encourage you to, you know, work hard when you're at work, but also rest. So I know that like I've just explained a whole bunch of things all at once, but it really depends on the company. Right. I do think we're moving in the right direction with tech compared to a lot of other American-based companies where you get like five vacation days to start. So yeah. I think we're moving in the right direction. But what I will say is that you do need to set your own boundaries in the tech industry. Um, work hard when you're there, but set boundaries so that you can enjoy your rest um, and mentally recharge. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good lesson for almost any industry, any business, uh, any person. Um, when you talk with people about the tech industry. What are their what are their thoughts to you about what they think the tech industry is? Because it's kind of a large umbrella for a lot of things. Yeah. So to be honest, because I'm in a leadership position, a lot of the people reaching out to me want a job in the tech industry. Okay. Okay. So it's usually they've got a positive side of things. So they think that 
unlimited vacation, it's great. Remote work, it's great. Um, I really want to get involved in this because it's going to give me more flexibility and control. But something else I do see in the tech industry, myself included, is imposter syndrome. Once we get this job, once we get this remote job, we're so excited to have it yeah. that we're feeling imposter syndrome when we move into the role, which means a lack of setting boundaries, which means like wanting to be available 24 seven to be able to prove our worth in this new industry that we've just broken into. And I'm, I won't lie, breaking into tech, you know, is, can be tough. Um, it doesn't need to be, but it can be tough, especially when you're, um, you don't have experience and you're highlighting a transferable skills. So most people view this this industry as an amazing place to be yeah. and lots of opportunities. But I do also see imposter syndrome because of that as well. I feel like I hear this term so much, imposter syndrome from clients, friends, and all these things. Why does it, is it that it's more prevalent now or just, we just haven't talked about it that much, you think? I think it's because we haven't talked about it. I mean, and if we're getting really deep as well, people who are statistically more likely to experience uh, imposter syndromes, such as women and minorities, they're now in positions, you know, more positions and we're entering the workforce, you know, especially the white collar workforce in more um more than we have historically. I mean, in the last 50 years, we've made a lot of strides in that space. Um, so those are the two reasons I think. I also think imposter syndrome is an easy easy thing to say rather mm. than explaining it fully. It's just two words and people pretty much understand what that means. So I think that's probably why that, that term was coined that's as well. As an Aussie, I love simplifications. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think that that is it is increasing among people or is it just feels similar? It just, it's just a natural thing that people have going on when they get in certain positions and maybe they don't have a lot of experience or what do you think? My opinion is that it is pretty normal. Uh, like if I think of most people I've led and myself, I would say it's more normal, normal to have imposter syndrome mm. than not having it. You know, the one thing I'm not sure of is the definition of what imposter syndrome actually means. And if I was, you know, if you were to have a psychologist on the podcast, yeah. what they would think, because in my mind, it's anyone that, um, anyone that experiences feelings of not being good enough, yeah. which is essentially the whole human population in some sort of way. We <laughs> all right. felt not good enough in a certain scenario. <laughs> Does everybody so, have, how can everybody have imposter syndrome? <laughs> so maybe I'm misusing the term. I don't know, but uh, I certainly do. I, I, I see it as people like feeling the need to overextend themselves, mm. whether it's extra work, whether it's, um, you know, boosting their ego and maybe coming across as a little bit egotistic mm. or having certain mannerisms to um, alleviate the imposter syndrome or feelings of not being good enough. I'd like to get a big definition on this from several sources because I feel like I've heard this so much and I'm like, what, what is this? Like, I'm <laughs> just kind of like, it's a very, it's a very different terminology for me. I haven't like, it's, it's actually very, if you, I'm not trying to say that I'm this amazing person, I am totally not. I'm a very normal, flawed person. I just, that mentality is very foreign to me. So, but I, but I hear it a lot, but I'm, I'm also interested in like, what is the technical definition mm. of something? Because maybe it is the other side, but you were saying maybe the ego side of it. 
it feels like it's a spectrum. Maybe it's a spectrum of imposter syndrome, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Ego, like the ego sort of thing feels like a defense mechanism. Yeah. Imposter syndrome to me feels more like an experience rather than a way okay. of being. Okay. That's, oh, interesting. That's my opinion. And I feel like experience. Impo- imposter syndrome is an experience. Like that's not set in stone. You're not going to have that forever. Yeah. Perhaps it's a pep talk that you give yourself that moves you through it. Perhaps it's experience yeah. that moves you through it. Um, but I do think more pe- some people would be more prone to having this experience based on their mindset, their past yeah. experiences, their trauma, all of those things that make you a human. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know people who all constantly think they're going to get fired from their job and yet they're excellent at their job. I was like, you know, maybe this is some weird, sick thing you're doing to keep yourself like, I don't know. It's like all the evidence suggests you're really good at your job. So what is it that's causing you to have this mindset when the evidence is clear that that's not the case for Mm. that, you know? Yeah. And my question to my team when there's that sort of reaction or when there's like a, an overwhelmingly negative reaction is provide me with an example of when this went wrong previously Yeah, or provide me with an example where you had a similar scenario and what was the outcome? Because they're almost coaching themselves out of that. Right. By, because I don't know what they went through when they were four years old. I don't know if, um, if, you know, every time they went for a sports team, they got kicked out. I don't know what their previous experience was yeah. to make them feel like they're going to be fired or that their project's not good enough. So I can't really assume that either. It, it's usually something before they've come to being on my team as to why they've had that. And I've had a similar experience in a previous yeah. role as well. And the reason why is because I was a young leader. So I felt like because I didn't have the life experience, I wasn't right. good enough. So I jumped to, oh, what have I done wrong? You know, and and that was something for me to work through. What's interesting is there's this dichotomy between this imposter syndrome, maybe not having a lot of life experience. And then the other side, which may be the ego part of it, which is um, I'm very young. And I know a lot. I have a lot of, I know a lot. I'm so intelligent, but I always postulate like, I don't know. I mean, maybe there it's the, uh, maybe intelligent quote, maybe a very intelligent quotient person, but like, how could you be wise when you're super young? Like you just haven't lived long enough to have enough of the reps of life, you know? Mm. Yeah, I I partially agree with that statement as well. I agree with it in so many ways in that like you're not going to know how to handle all of these conflicts. Yeah, and, how could and you tell like people that. about it? Like you don't you've never you haven't even gone through the gauntlet of anything hardly. Like if you're 20, how much can you really know about life? Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're going to be much more reactive to things. <laughs> but what I will say from leading really large and diverse teams is that you would sometimes have an 18-year-old who's incredibly amazing at their job, incredibly emotionally intelligent. And then you've also got a 45-year-old who resists every change, who feels like a victim. So what I would say is that at some point in your life, you will stop becoming a victim of your circumstances. Ideally, it's sometime within your 20s. But until you make that change, you are not going to live your ideal life. You're not going to live your dream life. And it's extremely sad when you see people in their 40s, 50s, 60s 
still a victim of their circumstances. And I would say that those people, yeah, although they they might be able to manage conflict, they've been there, done that, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're handling it better than the 18-year-old because the 18-year-old may have already decided that they're going to take full accountability for their lives. At Firehouse Subs, a portion of every purchase helps provide life-saving equipment to first responders. We make our subs differently because our subs can make a difference every day. That's why we're bringing back our daily medium sub special. Enjoy a different handcrafted medium sub at a special price for every day of the week. From Meatball Monday to Italian Sunday. Get it for a limited time, only at Firehouse Subs. Tap the banner now to start your pickup order. Sorry. I agree with that. I actually, I really agree with, I. that's a good important, important statement to bring on the other side. Just because you lived a long time doesn't mean you're very wise. Uh, Actually, I would much rather take the 18 year old who was more put together. Um, but I'm not sure that's common. An 18 year old put together. Is what, yeah, but the 45 year old feels more common to me. I, I'm 44 and the 45 plus that doesn't have together. That feels way more common than the 18 year old uh, person who has it together. You know, totally. I think sometime throughout their 20s, people will start stop being a victim of their circumstances, ideally, but a lot of people don't. And my granddad has an awesome quote, and it's a pretty popular one. Like you can have somebody who's what, who's had 20 years of experience, or yeah. you can have somebody who's had one year of experience 20 times. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So some people choose mm. to learn and grow and take full accountability. Yeah. Other people will just keep going through the motions and, and it's entirely our choice. Um, life is not fair. Some people True. aren't given life on a silver platter. Some people have tough life experiences. However, you can't change it. You can only decide what you're going to do with what you've been given. I think it's an important point. I mean, not everyone starts out at the same starting point. Yeah. Clearly, I mean, we've seen that certainly with uh, underrepresented populations, minorities, uh, often people like myself, uh, I was fortunate as a minority to have a good starting point in life, but so many people of my ethnicity have not. And I think that's, it's, it's not, it's not, there's not enough understanding of that, I think, with people. You know, it's like you're, you know, your situation, but you often don't think of other people's situation and how it is much harder for some people than it is for other people. It just is. That's, that's also a reality of life. Totally. And, and we need to be really cognizant of that fact yes. as well. Um, you know, I have all the privilege in terms of ethnicity, in terms of, you know, I've got two passports to right. Australia and, and the US. Like, how is that for privilege? You know, but equally, I was raised on welfare, you know, single yeah. mother, like not having much. And I know all of the steps I had to take to get out of poverty mindset to to not be financially supported at all and then seeing you know the the middle class in the US and how you know kids they only have to work summer jobs in college yeah. and they don't have to work 30 hours a week every you didn't single know week that? while they <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like oh my goodness you know but equally it's you know, we, we definitely, I believe as a society, we need to have more compassion 
for underrepresented people, people who maybe didn't have it, have it as easy, because I think it's really easy to point fingers and say, Hey, that person's lazy. But as we know from being personal trainers, somebody who's lazy may have depression and depression. It's so much harder to get out of bed in the morning. So using that analogy, somebody that, you know, maybe didn't go to college or, you know, has had more, not as, as uh, traditional of a path, you haven't walked your life yeah. in their shoes. You don't know what it's like for them. Yeah. Yes, they will need to take accountability for their circumstances and move through that at some point rather than being a victim. Yeah. But, you know, we still need compassion for one another because we're all experiencing the human experience at the end of the day. I like the lazy in quotations. I am, uh, I learned this over the years. I don't think that most people are lazy. I think there's great biological and anthropological evidence that we are overriding a lot of biological mechanisms, especially for exercise, for people to even begin. Um, Now, this isn't a blanket statement. Some people are lazy. There are a few people who are lazy. But I think in general, I wouldn't blanket that statement. For I think most people, they're facing a lot of different barriers and things and you have to like dive into that to understand what those things are. Um, but I think that term is thrown around a little too much uh, mm. to describe the effort of someone. I, I don't believe that everybody's just, oh, they're just lazy. They don't want to do it. No, a lot of people want to do a lot of things. They just, they're stuck a lot of times in these different situations and, um, and certain uh, mental aspects that are just, they're having a hard time overcoming, overcoming it, you know? Totally. Uh, you know, we've domesticated ourselves and our perceived stress. Yes. Um, it makes it really tough for us to move out of certain situations and and to gain that motivation. And um, yeah, people are unmotivated, but we've conditioned by we, I mean, society, right. we've been conditioned to, to be unmotivated because everything is just so easy now. You know what? This is a large conversation. I'm glad we're getting to this. Okay, I've asked this for to a few people. How do we work through this? Because te- our, this incredibly quickly advancing technological society is quickly taking out the activity of living, which it's taking away a lot of our physical activity on a regular basis. How do we combat this? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big I question. I know if you got the answer, it's game over, right? <laughs> I don't have the answer and I'm not sure that anyone does, but mm. I do have, I do have some ideas. Okay. I'd love now, to hear them. Yeah. So omni-channel fitness is becoming very, very popular. And a lot of people are wanting to focus on their mental wellness in conjunction with their fi- physical fitness. I am extremely popular when it comes uh, popular. I am extremely positive <laughs> when it comes are, are to you popular, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I've never been one of the cool girls, but you know, I do my best. Yeah. <laughs> I'm extremely positive with the direction that the fitness industry is going. And I do believe that people are moving away from wanting an ideal body type. And that's why this whole, you know, health in anybody is popular. It's an action. And I honestly think that we're moving in the right direction and that we can use technology to help us. So, you know, we're tracking things like 
I don't know if it's cortisol specifically, but we're tracking things like our stress management yeah. and, you know, getting, getting taught to taught to breathe with these these watches and then also yeah. it's saying hey you haven't moved in a while I don't know what the future of fitness looks like but I do believe that we are becoming more aware that our bodies need to move mm. um, I don't know if it looks like under the desk treadmills or yeah. you know people are going to be jumping on those TikTok <laughs> bicycles that were really popular <laughs> at the desk I don't know what it looks like but I do think eating well moving well and breathing well is important and that technology can support us so what role do you, I, this is, this is great. I'm totally clicking with that. But on the other side, what role does the technology play in being a part of that solution? Uh, because the technology, I think, is what is part of what's conditioning us and has gotten us into a pretty bad place. So how can technology be better to help combat yeah. itself? Yeah, I do think the first thing I will say is that we need to take ownership of how we use technology mm -hmm. as humans, because you can have two different totally curated TikTok or Instagram feeds based on what you engage with. If you choose to engage with reels that you dislike and comment things that uh, are not nice, you're going to continue to receive those reels that trigger you. Right. If you have positive content, you listen to podcasts a lot of the time, inspiring content on, on TikTok and Reels, you're going to have that as well. So just as much as you choose your friends, you choose your circle of influence, you can choose the technology that you interact with as well. So that's the first thing I would say. In terms of technology supporting us, I do believe that we need innovative solutions to provide us with more reminders to move, mm -hmm. to breathe, to hydrate. I don't you know, again, I don't know what that looks like because it's like how much onus can you put on technology companies to ensure that we're doing what we should be doing as human beings, which is walking all day. If you're sure. a man, man, typically hunting, and I'm talking about, you know, sex, if sure. you're a man, you're typically hunting. If you're a woman, you're typically gathering. That's what our bodies were designed to do. And we you know, haven't evolved that much. Stress to us back in the day, tiger jumping out of a bush. That's a stress response. Now a stress response is, as we were speaking about earlier, last minute meeting on the calendar. Oh my goodness. Am I going to get fired <laughs> from my job? You know? So, so yeah. part of it is on us, but then part of it is on, you know, how can we get reminders to be doing what we're doing? And I would bring it back to the education system as well. I don't think our education system is supporting us to be able to think in a way that's a little bit more critical and a little bit more curious. I believe that our education system is still teaching us to be factory workers, to follow orders. Sure. So therefore we follow orders from things rather than yeah. being like, Hey, you know, I know that avocados are healthy, but every time I eat an avocado, I feel sick afterwards, you yeah. know, and, and yeah. then choosing to listen to our bodies in that way. I know that wasn't a direct answer to your question, but it's <laughs> yeah, probably okay. more realistic of what we can do right now. And I don't know the answer with regards to what yeah. tech can do. Well, it's interesting because I think there's several different camps of ideas and I'm a big idea person. I love ideas. I love creativity, but I also think when I asked the question about the role of tech, maybe, maybe I need to clarify this more uh, because you mentioned basically kind of an algorithm aspect of things. What role does the algorithm play in this? Because I think there's an addictive quality to technology that humans have a very difficult time overriding that addiction. It's like any other addiction. If mm -hmm. the addiction is going to continue to be super strong 
and super powerful, how, I don't know how humans can overcome that constantly when you're constantly pulling a slot machine and it's giving you sparkly things all the time. What role does the tech companies have in helping people get out of it? It's just hard to overcome something that's so addictive like that. I mean, people can do it, but it's become the lifeline to like millions and billions of people for that. I worry about that. Now, they, obviously, there's accountability. If people need to do be accountable for their actions. But on the other side, how do you exist with something that's so addictive mm. to, to so many people? This is a really great question, and I've actually not thought about it that way. You know, I mostly teach people how they can work within the means of what we're being provided. Mm-hmm. But essentially, these algorithms are a drug. And right. we, you know logically in my mind, more studies need to happen to be able to push these companies to be not making social media so addictive Um, because people have vices, whether it's drugs, alcohol, shopping, uh, you know, social media, like literally anything, exercise even. They could be, you know, addictions that are more healthy or not so much. So I, I guess it's quantifying the mental battle that these algorithms do provide people with. And, and there is no accountability at the moment. You're right. No and there probably should be. Um, I, I think there should be because we want to be supporting people to not be moving to their vices, which is scrolling on social media for hours right. on end. There's just a huge article out about doom scrolling and, and all of this evidence about how damaging doom scrolling is to the chemistry of a person's brain and depression, and uh, isolation, and anxiety. And I think people, we realize this is happening. But it's one thing to realize something's happening. There's another thing to do something about it. And I think that's the crux of what's happening is I think people are actually getting exhausted of a lot of this stuff. I really feel that. I don't have a lot of evidence. So like, I can't tell you all these, but I just am, I talked to so many. This is like my 501st episode. Like, I've talked to so many people. Everyone is exhausted of space, social media. Every single person tells me that, almost every single person. But everyone keeps doing it. <laughs> like, so there's a transition period, I think. Even like I think Meta, like they or Facebook or whatever, they lost money for the first time ever last quarter. Like something's changing. People are changing. And maybe that will be the cause to change technology. I don't know, because I know when I started using the Internet, you could just use it. And it wasn't there were no algorithms like back in the day. It was actually fun because you could just kind of look here and there and stuff. And now as soon as you look at one thing, you just get directed towards a bunch of stuff. That's the same thing, like immediately. Mm. I think that's destructive. Like then you don't see other points of view, you know? Totally. And that's what I think is destructive as right. well. You've always got people echoing the same thing that you're yes. believing. Um, so you're, yeah, you raise a really great point. And I would love to, if you have that study on hand, I'd love to yeah, read I just through saw it today. because it sounds, yeah. yeah, it sounds super interesting. Um Look, I don't know what the answer is, in ter- but tech industry does need more accountability in terms of how we manage that because it is a drug at the end of the day. But something I'm super interested about based on what you just said is what the impact of Web3 is going to be on um, 
all of this sort of stuff that we're talking about? Will it yeah. be less algorithm based? You know, they're talking about decentralizing um, the World Wide Web. So what does that actually no, mean? That's crazy. And how, <laughs> yeah, how is that going to benefit us? What sort of apps are we going to build? Or is it actually going to put us in the different direction mm. and cause us to have more of these issues that you've just explained? I mean, these are all extremely valid questions. I think it's kind of like a lot of things is like humans have created amazing stuff. I mean, just the ingenuity. We are an incredible species, but we often never think about the consequence of things we do. We just create without thinking and go, we can, it's like deep fakes. Just because we can make deep fakes doesn't mean we should be doing it. <laughs> like, and I'd like a little more restraint. I mean, maybe I'm just different in this. I prefer restraint versus just full steam ahead in this whole previous tech idea of let's just do it until it breaks or something bad happens. Like, I just don't agree with that mindset, you know? Mm, yeah, you raise a really good point. And it and it almost raise up the point, raises the point that we haven't learned our lessons. Yeah. If we think about I wasn't around then, I wasn't born, but when we first created plastic, you know. You know, we we blame the boomers on a lot. I know, but, right? You know, the boomers when they were younger, they were using milk bottles, they were recycling right. it, they were sending back their cans, and it was <laughs> yeah. somebody that happened to create plastic that we've gotten us into our, this yeah. mess of sustainability right now. Right. And it's almost like sustainable internet as well. What you're bringing mm. up, like maybe we haven't learned that lesson. Mm. And we're thinking, oh, this is more sustainable because you know there's no no paper, it's paperless, but. Right sustainability of the mind and and how we're responding to that and the other issues that can create and we haven't provided any restraint with regards to creating this because it's just so exciting um and we're we're so amazing so yeah that that really raised a few questions in my mind just then yeah i even just like okay cryptocurrencies another thing like it's you know a hot thing is very volatile and there's a lot of countries now that are just stopping mining of crypto because the energy to create crypto is is so environmentally damning but a lot of people don't know that they just think oh it's this electronic coin thing you know it's like we're just uninformed or we just push forward with stuff and we go the hell with it this will be amazing and screw the fallout and i just wish we had more restraint on things yeah. you know it's definitely that's how I think is um, it's kind of somewhat of the fault of humans in general. It's just we just do shit, you know, it's like <laughs> either we do or we don't. We don't. There's a lot we don't do. But there's a whole bunch we do. And we just don't even think like, is this good for people? Like, yeah, rooms, there's nobody saying even if someone goes, this may be bad for people. They go, oh, make a lot of money. Screw it. It's going to make a lot of money. This is like a lack of integrity that just eats at me with a lot of stuff. Mm, but that's the bottom line. Will it make a lot of money? Right. And that's why, you know, all of these health things aren't being focused on because right. you can't sell a pharmaceutical product to somebody who is eating well, moving well, <laughs> meditating and stuff like that. So, you know, while your doctor will say, yep, yeah, here's the healthy food pyramid, eat this, exercise 30 minutes a day, we're not really provided with the resources to yeah. do that. And, you know, moving back to to the responsibility we have in the tech industry, it's providing a framework really to make those big decisions. And, 
you know, because I understand what you mean in terms of restraint, but also you can be so caught up in the restraint and being critical that nothing gets done because we're questioning. Yeah. Yeah. There's really this balance of being idealistic, driving forward with these new ideas, but then also being critical and saying, how is this going to affect so many people and will the majority um, benefit from this as well? And if the majority will, how will we support the minority who are really going to be not benefit you're not not benefiting from this so yeah yeah it's it's we need a better framework for implementing new structures that change humanity and and the change is so quick you know in the past things didn't like when i was growing up in the 80s things didn't change quickly i was like something new came out and it's like you had a lot of time to like jive with it and grow with it and now it's just like it feels like there's a new iphone every second it's like there's uh, seriously, there's a new platform every two months or something. It's like you never get to actually live with the thing that comes out and really spend the time. It's like you're always moving into something new. You know, mm. you never could still with something. It's a larger, it goes back to the beginning of our conversation, just like being with yourself. All of this stuff, I feel like, takes us away from ourselves all the time. It's always a new shiny toy. There's always a slot machine to pull. It's always Vegas. Las Vegas is everywhere. It's in our mind now. You know, it's like, I think humans want to decentralize this this stuff. I think it's just going to take some time. You know, it's everything takes time too. You know, totally. And I honestly think a lot of this is the amount of information that we have access to as well. I'm grateful for the amount of information we have access to because it would have been so much harder to move from single parent family to like doing quite well for myself. It's a lot easier when you can search things on Google and then take action off the back of it. However, it is much more difficult to be consistent because as you mentioned, shiny new toys are in our face all the time. So it's like, oh, I've started going in this direction, but I could go in all these different directions. Then you end up being so scattered that you never move forward. And I think that's happening in the fitness industry as well. Like, oh, I want to lift weights. Oh, but Pilates is really popular now. Oh, maybe (laughs) I should try kickboxing. (laughs) Like what's the best thing for me? And you know, it's just like the best thing, the best exercise program for you is the one that you will do. You know, get <laughs> yeah. started with something you enjoy first and then we can refine, <laughs> like, refine later. Yeah. You do not need. Yeah. So it, and, and it makes it extremely hard for us to be still because we're conditioned to ping pong in our mind all the time. And, yeah. you know, that's a hard lesson that I came to terms with in India and I'm still coming to terms with and find myself like when I'm journaling in the morning, taking a 10 second pause and then realizing it's a one minute pause of some tangent that my <laughs> mind has gone on. So yeah. it's, it's a whole thing. Yeah, it is a whole thing. It's, it's, it's hard to do, but I think it's a necessary thing. And it feels like you are, you have a, you have a very open mind to different, you see both sides of things, which is a great thing uh, to do, especially in our business with fitness that, uh, you know, we've, we've been fighting weird, strange battles forever from the late night infomercials to the influencing aspects. It's always going to be some gimmicky nature to our business. I feel like it's never going away, you know? So you're wading through a lot of weird stuff on a regular basis. And the internet is like, put that on steroids. It's like, Hey, more weird stuff. It's like, so kudos to you for really kind of looking through and seeing things in, in multiple directions. That's a great thing. Oh, 
Thank you. Well, we need to, I think it, fitness, it's more important to provide frameworks rather than specific yeah. things to do. I like that. Um, yeah, because people can work with a framework and say, hey, I'll start here. There's Here's a few suggestions, but I want to do yeah. what works for me. And I, I hope that people are moving more into empowerment rather than following somebody else's plan. Um, because who likes to be micromanaged by their trainer? <laughs> who likes to be micromanaged by their boss doing exactly yeah. doing like this one whole, like, yes, you need to learn the technique. Of course, there's, of course. there's things you need to learn, but yes. then, you know, let's work within a framework framework that gives you creativity to fall in love with movement rather than doing something because it's going to give you a skinny body um yeah. or or you know curvy booty or whatever's cool right now <laughs> like <Curvy booty. laughs> i don't know like it just keeps on flip-flopping between yeah, skinny and curvy who knows it does well the thing is too, you'll never be happy with whatever you get you'll always want it to be look better you'll be oh i just i, I could look this much better I always tell people, like, even if you get to somewhere that you think looks great, you'll think it's not great enough. You'll keep yeah. pushing yourself. It's unhealthy. That's unhealthy. You need to love yourself where you are now. So whether you're 200 pounds mm -hmm. or, you know, 300 pounds or 130 pounds, wherever you're at, you need to love yourself where you're at because nothing will ever be good enough. And and moving nope. back to how we started, you know, the two things I noticed in, in India, one of them was like, nothing's ever good enough. Always thinking yeah. of the future, the next thing you can do, you know, so a, a huge part of the fitness journey is accepting your body and loving it right now for what it can do. If there's nothing you like about it, the way it looks, think about what you can do with it, right. you know, and how much that means to you. Um, and it's tough. It takes time for sure. Um, you know, it's working. Your mental muscle is just like working your physical muscles. You yeah. wouldn't jump on the bench press and expect to do a 100 kilogram or 220 pound bench press straight <laughs> away on day one. You've got to work towards it. It's the same with loving yourself. You've got to work towards loving yourself as well. I like how you converted that number. You're like, listen, we're going to do the metric and we're going to do this crazy American <laughs> stuff. We'd, we're like the only country who just like kilos. No, we don't. We don't do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I can I can deal with pounds because it's a simple conversion. Yeah. It's 2.2. I can't deal with month, month, day, day. Just Really? Yeah. Or Fahrenheit. Mm, that's you the they're two. Celsius. I know it's funny, right? I grew up in Europe and stuff. Just I see the both sides, but it's kind of like I guess America's stubborn about this, like ounces. Why is it OZ? There's no Z in it. <laughs> like, like, so weird stuff to yeah. me. You know? uh, gotta, gotta love America for its, uh, yeah. we you make know, up belief stuff. in it. Exactly. <laughs> but it's belief in its convictions. It's yeah. great for that. I do love how proud y'all are. And yeah. Pounds, LBS. American. What is that? LBS and then pounds. Like, it makes no sense to me. Like, yeah, I I remember the first time figuring out that pounds was LBS and I was so confused, but now I've just accepted it. Right, right. Even though it makes no sense to me. Someone please correct me about this. I mean, I just I can imagine if you're from another country and you come in and say spell pounds and then you put like LBS, you'd be like, what just happened? <laughs> yeah, that's Why? super weird. I'm going to have to ask my I feel like that's something my granddad would know. I'm going to have to ask him after this call. He's knowledgeable. He sounds like a very knowledgeable person for that. He is. That's awesome. <laughs> Lori, thank you so much. Please tell everyone how they can connect with you. Yeah, so you can connect with me on Instagram or TikTok at Lori Lee Bootcamp, L-O-R-I-L-E-E -E Bootcamp. Uh, or you can also reach me on my website, lauriellec.com. Nice and simple. You know what I've noticed is that I'm seeing less and less 
options for people connecting? Like somebody will say, oh, I'm just on these two things or I'm just on, just on one thing. When I first started this podcast, people would list off like 20 sites. <laughs> it's like very condensed now, which is interesting to me. That's for another time though. But yeah. You yeah. can reach me in more places, but I just don't, you know, those are the best places it's to just, reach me. Yeah, just <laughs> condense it down. Let's condense it down, you know? Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Laurie, and uh, have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much for your time.